Hello and welcome to Tell the Damn Story, the podcast that celebrates the trials and tribulations, the challenges and joys of creativity, and hopefully, along the way, helps you decide how you want to tell your damn story. Today, we're going to talk about good stories well told. And who is we? Who is we? Well, one is... One is a singular sensation, a devotee of Dante, historian of homicide, the reporter with the scoop, the inspector, detective, mythological master, high school herder, the bro from City of Woe, your kin from the City of Sin, and a genius at your high school, and the guardian of the galaxy. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Nope, the guardian of the goddess galaxy is someone else's job. I'm no, just the guardian of the goddess, and my name is Chris Bryan. But who is the real power that will help us tell the damn story? Well, ladies and gentlemen, that would be the legendary comic book scribing, iconic detective writing, Great underused character developing and globe trotting, creator of the world renowned Blackjack, the African American soldier of fortune, set in the 1930s, whose adventures reflect today's problems. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the one, the only, the iconic Alex Simmons. Oh, that big fella said it. Whoa, whoa, he's in. You'll go there, you'll go then. Oh, and that is getting that introduction is getting more ridiculous every time I do it. <laughs> it's just so much ridiculous fun. And, oh, okay. uh, we're here, we're here, folks. I had, to, I had to ride my speedy equine uh, to, to get here on time, but here we are. Here we so, are. So, uh, yeah, Alex, uh, December 2020. Yes. I gotta tell you, I, I didn't think I would ever be able to say that phrase. December 2020? 2020 has been, yeah, 2020 has been about seven years long. And I am really, <laughs> really glad to finally be in this, the, the final month of December. What have you been doing with yourself in December, sir? Well, what I've been doing with myself in December, sir, is I've been, uh, same thing I was doing in November, living. Uh, the, the, actually, the couple of, couple of really nice things have happened in December, and I, again, two of them I can't talk about still because we haven't been efficient. But okay, but they're writing stuff, and hopefully by January we can talk about it. And I'm saying, yeah, remember back in December when I didn't tell you? But uh, one thing that did happen that I can talk about, thank goodness, uh, we got the word, is as some of you who've been following the series know, I am the co-founder um, and executive director of an initiative called Kids Comic Con. And that's been an event that we've done for 14 years now, uh, locally in New York, uh, at an at a annual event every spring. But then we've also taken uh, little mini road trips with some of our artists and things. And we've gone to other people's conventions to do the children's area or the young people's area and to teach workshops and really help stimulate and, and reaffirm kids' imagination and the desire to be creative and all that good stuff. So uh, this year... Um, we, uh, you know, 2020 has been eh, not as much fun as most would like. And we were thinking, well, this year has been difficult. We did a virtual Comic-Con in April and it went, you know, reasonably well. People enjoyed it. But I was thinking, uh, I don't know. Here. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's you and the goddess. You you read correct story. Yeah, but what we did was, you know, we were thinking, uh, how are we gonna, you know, sort of put the end to this year, and how are we gonna move forward next year, and what's COVID gonna be like, and blah 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 blah. And we got an opportunity at the very last minute to apply for a grant in October, and uh, Gene Adams, co-founder, and uh, a friend and volunteer, Maureen Britt, we jumped on it. And we put together this this presentation, this proposal, and we put it out there. And lo and behold, hey. we just got the word this past uh, Thursday that we won. Congratulations. Yes, yes, yes. We are receiving a, a nice chunk of change. I will not say the exact amount. It's it's. We're not going to be buying the Maserati or a new building. Uh, but we Is got it $2,020? No. It's, it's, it's more than that. It's, it's more, much more than that. Uh, but we've been, you know, given a nice grant that's going to allow us to do some really good work with uh, young people of color in particular, but also our range of kids uh, specifically uh, to, again, generate and reaffirm and encourage and inspire them to use their creative skills and their creative, their natural creative abilities to pursue and explore their future and, and art and to communicate and all of that good stuff that we've been doing. So we are looking forward to uh, working with some of the artists we've worked with before, pulling in a couple of new ones, and really doing some wonderful programming between the end of this year and June of 2021. So we're very excited about that. So that just happened, folks. So Hozar, three chills. Uh, cheers. Hozar, indeed. Yes. Hopefully, um, you know, all the news we're hearing about vaccines will uh, work out for us and uh, we can have uh, Kids Comic Con ride again face to face with all the kids excitedly and parents relievedly. We're all going from uh, um, uh, table to table and event to event and learning and enjoying nice. and celebrating imagination. Oh man, Kids Comic Con is such a delightful uh, creation. Hey, you uh, there. and Gene should be very proud of yourselves. Yeah. Say I said, you've been there a few times. You've done your thing there, so it's been great. I have been there a few times. Um, I always feel, you know, it's so funny. I, uh, I always feel, uh, I'm actually a very shy person. And I always feel like, well, I don't have anything that they can connect with, you know, except for Margaret Agnes Ferguson. But um, then every once in a while you you remember that and say, shut up. Come over here and do this. <laughs> <laughs> And last yes, year, we ever do something with, with Goddard, you know, and uh, that's fun. That's fun stuff. Um, so that's yeah. what's been happening with you. What, what What's happening with you? Um, the, uh, I'm doing some research on where the market, um, what was used to be called CWO, was now called everyone's, Everyone Pays. And um, I'm told by many of the resources that I'm coming across, do not submit or query in December. So the, the publishing industry apparently is just one big party in December. I don't know. They just, you know, they don't want to see anything new. So okay, so I'm I'm trying to see some timing, and I'm speaking with um, the person who edited. You know, she had a long illustrious career in the publishing industry. So I finally said, um, I have some bare bones uh, or, or brass tacks type of questions that may show my true ignorance on the business side, <laughs> but um, would you interested, of course? So I asked her a couple of things. Um, 
One of the things I'm concerned with is, you know, the original version of uh, City of Wall was written over 10 years ago now. Mm-hmm. And the world has changed dramatically, you know. So one of the questions I asked was, um, you know, I'm concerned that, you know, while their boss is African-American and there's other people, you know, a little bit of diversity throughout the rest of the cast and a lot of sort of stuff, you're really you're following two, uh, two white guys, you know. And um, I'm wondering if that's the most compelling way to tell this story you know, everyone pays, should represent everyone, you know. So um, there's a way to turn one of the characters uh, from uh, his current large sloppy self into, um, I frankly, uh, turn him into a, a, a female version of himself um, who would have a... Uh, particular um, preference sexually you know ah. um, uh, well I don't I, I don't want to disrespect anybody but I keep seeing this character as oh this character could work really well as you know uh, a lesbian and um, the one of the questions I asked was is it necessary to be concerned that way and if you did the right research and showed the right respect, would it be accepted? And would it, would that help bring the story across? Because, you know, the story is all. You serve the story, right? Or would it be seen as uh, appropriation, no matter how much you researched? And this is a very similar question to the one that we batted uh, at least three episodes, you know, about whether I, uh, as a white guy, I can write blackjack and all that sort of stuff. Um, but the other dimension, are you, are you changing the character objectively or are you changing the character because, you know, you want the story to... Um, you know, I believe in the story. Go ahead. I'm just be- reacting because I don't know if you're hearing it, but you're, you're starting to, to freeze now. And sometimes some of your phraseology is freezing. And I'm just wondering if you're hearing it or am I just hearing it? Because it might be a signal thing. Um, when, you, when you first began to speak, yours was drawn out and then it was smoother again. So, Okay. Well, we got to hope that this is recording well. <laughs> so, okay. But, I mean, that, I mean, that's one of the questions I'm asking. I'm also asking about, you know, whether the myth of don't query in December, um, and then what is what is is it appropriate to mention the editor you were working with? All these different things. So it's been a lot of exploring the business side of, of you know of publishing, mm-hmm. which is and you have to get you know if if we're talking to creators here. In the, on this show, educate yourself on the business side early and often, brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. because it's uh, you're gonna you're gonna find out uh, twelve twelve different things are the one and only fact. Um, <laughs> <right>? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we'll see. So I don't know. I mean, uh, the characters all may stay the same, or it may be something that 
you know, yeah, that would be well within rights, and that would be something. I don't know. Um, you, you know, it's um, funny. It, it's funny you mentioned uh, changing your character. In this case, changing gender, predilection, and so forth. Um, I, I, one of the things I'm, I'm involved in is a, uh, a mystery book club. Uh, right. We get together once a month, and we discuss a mystery book that we've read. And the one that we read recently is a Perry Mason uh, uh, book written by Earl Stanley Gardner. And it's one of his early, I think it was written in 1938. And Perry's portrayal in the book is actually his relationship even with Della and, and, and some of the police officers is different in many ways than the portrayal on the old Raymond Burr TV series, which is very different from the way they're portraying him in the very new Perry Mason series that's on HBO Max right now. Different era, different characterizations, a lot of things. They're very radically different. And I think, you know, what's interesting is the the more recent incarnation of this character is entering realms that I don't remember from, I definitely don't remember from the TV series, and I don't know, I've only read a couple of the books but they were all written in the, thir I'm sorry, not all, but the early ones were written in the 30s. So I know that there was a different way they had to write certain things in that era in order for it to be publicly acceptable. Right. So I'm looking at, you know, how the same character is handled at three different junctions between the 1930s and 2020. And yeah. what changed and what is still a thread that's still there. Right. And I think one of the reasons for the change in any of these incarnations is the audience. Well, and, and that's what I'm trying to address. I mean, the the audience has changed uh, in the time that this, this story has existed um, to try and diversify. Um, I made some uh, casting changes, and, uh, especially Lieutenant Dan and a few others. Um and I'm seeing that you could probably do it with this character. Both characters, you know, either incarnation, right, if, uh, if it's a guy or if it's this, uh, a lesbian. But you would have an opportunity, and I would have to do a lot of research, to put some nuance, you know. And, and uh, the first question is with these detectives is that, you know, why these two? Because they are kind of outcasted for their beliefs. Mm. And, and that would work for, uh, you know, um, LBGTQ communities because they are outcasted for their beliefs or for their lifestyles, you know. So it would be a way, you know, if if we're following Dante's Inferno and if we're talking about everyone pays and, and it thematically it's about how we make life hell for each other, it would be it would make sense, to mm. include, you know, but I haven't gotten there yet. So, however, it addresses what you're saying with Perry Mason, and it ties us to what we're going to talk about today, which is as long as it's a good story well told, it today is good stories well told because some of the stories we're talking about now or we're going to talk about today, addressed exactly those kind of issues. 
how do we take roots material and then express these other thoughts, these other themes, these other issues that we want to get at, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, It ties back to your blackjack because blackjack is set in the 1930s. In, in in really in kind of a pulpy world, the pulpy world very rarely, if ever, dealt with uh, racism, mm. but uh, blackjack does, and many of the issues that it, uh, the stories deal with can be read as commentary on uh, the yeah. today, and that's yeah. really again good story well told. It should be able to comment on. Uh, the era it inhabits and the era the reader inhabits, you know, to make the connection. Um, We're talking about some of that stuff today with uh, some of the stuff that is huge hit material. Yeah. In 2020, the year of watching TV because we cannot go out. Yes. Talk about a captive audience, right? Yes, yes. So let us start with uh, the one that's the first on our list, though it wasn't necessarily the first one we thought about, but it's the first one on our list, The Mandalorian. Mandalorian. Now, you want to talk about storytelling. I'm just going to throw a little bit of background in there ever so slightly. What I find most intriguing about all this is we're talking about a character and a storyline that is attached to a huge storyline that goes back how many years? 30 years? A little further. Star Wars debuted in 1977. There you go. So, okay, so the Star Wars universe mm-hmm. has given us many offshoots over the years. Right. Not, not, you know, as films, as animated stories, as books, all of these things, and video games. So here it comes, The Mandalorian. And people could say, oh, well, it's just another science fiction Star Trek, a Star Wars kind of, you know, spinoff. Yeah, but, and that's yeah. where we come in with this. Yeah. So, The Mandalorian, yes, it's in space, it has aliens, it has spaceships, it has other planets, but at the core, at the soul of it, it has reflections or ghosts of many things from the past. What, which ones come to mind for you? Well, um, I have three bits. First, okay. Boba Fett was the original person wearing Mandalorian armor, and he became ridiculously po- uh, popular despite George Lucas seeing him as an extra. And the Mandalorian comes out of that growing popularity with that. And then they, they took John Favreau and Dave Cloney. Uh, <laughs> okay. Your your godson is going to kill me, but this he's he's like the modern uh George Lucas partner because he's done he's the one who did the Clone Wars, he's the one who did Filoni. Uh, okay. uh Fellini, yes. Um, Fellini is a whole different filmmaker. Yeah, really. But um, I like his movie. He did, <laughs> he did the Clone Wars. He did Rebels, both animated, and now he's help, he's he's co-creating or whatever with this. Um, so the first season of The Mandalorian 
is uh, every Western trope you've seen. You know, there's um, there's you know there's actually Lone Wolf and Cub. Yeah, and we've seen it a big yeah. influence because spoilers if you still haven't seen first season, but the Mandalorian, who is a spiritual version, much more spiritual, never takes off his helmet, you know, just like the Long Ranger, never right, takes off his helmet. Um, Except when he's wearing he a disguise. He gets tasked with, or given a quest um, to care for a baby, which is, you know, people nicknamed Baby Yoda because he's the same race. Um so Lone Wolf and Cub, if you if you know that anime, I guess you call it anime, um, long running uh, comic book. Uh, Frank Miller was it? Well, no, this is this it was it started in Japan and ah. it was probably between fifteen and thirty volumes. I mean, this is a long running tale of a warrior, if I remember correctly, a samurai warrior, but a warrior task with the care of a child so that imagery is inescapable right but you tack on to that you know beyond the imagery it is all the western tropes it's you know stranger comes to town it's um the searchers it's uh, high noon. the mag- high noon definitely yeah. the high noon episode there's yeah. a magnificent seven episode um there's a bit of a dirty dozen, which is not quite Western in there, but right. uh, all of that, you know, all of that stuff uh, was season one. Season two reminds me much more of 80s sci-fi summer blockbusters. Like there's a Terminator type thing. There's an alien episode and all that sort of stuff. And hysterically, if if, if you step away from it, there's a lot of Star Wars with the ominous, black-clad villain, very powerful villain in uh, Giancarlo Esposito, you know, his his character. Um, and now you're starting to see these different characters come in that will, I hope, I hope and pray by the end of this, there's only two more episodes, but um, we'll coalesce as a team or as a family or as a, you know, a unified force against, you know, the, uh, the, the empire as it was. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Or the, and yeah. <laughs> here's the thing that's really amazing. The characters that they're introducing, some of the characters they're introducing come from other star Wars material. Okay. Uh, there's a sheriff that came from one of the more, more recent novels. There's a two characters, female characters who have been shown, um, Osako, oh man, my my son's gonna kill me. Osako Tano and um, Jerry Mathers. No, yeah, Jerry Mathers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, but uh, Osaku, Osako Tan, I, I I don't have it down, but she was huge in the Clone Wars and Rebels, and uh, oh my God. Write in and shame me with writing in these characters. Oh my God, I cannot believe I'm forgetting these characters. Hey, it took me uh, to remember an artist that I read most of his stuff for years, and Marshall Rogers. I was, like, yeah. you know, so it's okay. And it's 
uh, Voktan is the other character, but they are from the Clone Wars uh, Rebels. uh, uh, There, so you're seeing animated characters transfer into live action characters, Mm -hmm. and uh, the big villain that was mentioned, one of them, was also from those animated. So uh, I think this future we'll see more and more of those characters. And they are doing the thing that audiences it will drive audiences crazy. They are putting the innocent in danger. Right? It's rule of writing. Don't kill a dog. Don't injure a baby. Yeah. Well I, I told you I told you when we talked about um Sahara and we were talking about Stephen King. And I told you the thing that bothered me the most about Salem's Lot was a baby. It was the baby. Yeah. Was yeah. The baby. yeah. Well, now they have, uh, as of the episode, spoiler warning, if those of you who have listened to this before watching that, the baby is definitely, uh, Grogu is her name now, his name now, uh, definitely in danger, in big danger, and done exceptionally well. Um this episode was directed by Robert Rodriguez. Oh, did he? Desperado fame and all that, you know. All uh, right. uh, he's, he really was a perfect choice for the incredible uh, reappearance of one of the beloved characters and also action and then heart. It was really well done. Episode before that, Dave Filoni directed the introduction of the famous character whose name I crucified before. Um, <laughs> Carl Weathers did a, a he directed, a, and then John Favreau, of course, is directed. There are so many great directors on Wait this. Wait a minute. Carl Weathers, who played the the broker in yeah, this yeah, series, yeah. is he actually directed a, he directed an episode. Yeah, so, well, apparently he's been directing for years. I didn't know that, but God bless I didn't him. either. I remember um, his acting work. I didn't remember, I didn't know that he was directing. So if season one was Westerns, this has been um, 80s blockbusters themed, you know, or, or, or live. And, and now we're in, in, in the home stretch, and it's pure Star Wars and pulling from all different areas and kind of really doing a ton of fan service at a breakneck pace and honoring the rule that we're talking about today, which is... Good story, well told. Yeah, characters are are engaging. The pace is fantastic. The writing is crisp. The direction is sharp. And due to the technology they've developed, oh, it's visuals visually stunning. Yeah. So uh, there's the first one. So let's 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 talk about sharp characters and character reinterpretations as well as storyline reinterpretations. Because our next, our next one up, our next candidate up, is Watchmen. The Watchmen, yes. Yes, the Watchmen. Uh, 80s, 1980s, a, a, a landmark comic book. Right, Alan Moore. Alan Moore. Tom, yeah. I think, I want to say the 90s or 2000s, um, the first movie, which was very, very um, faithful to the comic book, despite Alan Moore saying, don't put my name on it. I mean, it was almost panel for panel uh, until the end. <laughs> well, that's what pissed Alan off. But 
Um, so uh, a reinterpretation, but only slightly. And then over the last year or so, HBO. Yeah. So, so let's, go back, let's go back because some folks listening to this may not know anything about it. So Watchmen, again, was Alan Moore who, let us say that Alan Moore knows no bounds. Uh, Alan Moore has done some interesting things with the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which was taking Conan Doyle's uh, Mycroft Holmes, Sherlock's brother, taking uh, Mina Harper from Dracula, uh, The Invisible Man, um, uh, Jekyll and Hyde, uh, Captain Nemo, taking all these very familiar literary characters and throwing them into this incredible team that has to go up against an alien invasion. Right. right? War of the Worlds, oh, alien invasion. Let's be very specific. And then, instead of doing it in what I would say is probably a generic or safe traditional storytelling, all these cool guys and gals involved in this battle against evil, we aren't all that fond of some of these folks because there's a lot of conflict going on, and a couple of the good guys are not good guys at all. At all. At all. I mean, we are raw storytelling here. We have we have abuse, we have vulnerability, we have old demons, we have a lot. And when I say old demons, I don't mean something coming from the curse of a, of, a, of a tomb. I'm talking about psychologically messed up people. And yet this same ragtag troop has to go up against an alien invasion threatening the entire world. So I think that Alan's very, you know, some would say it's dark, but Alan's very no-holes-barred way of storytelling and exploring very difficult, scary, dark, or disturbing themes with a superhero team, if you will, was very much land, uh, a landmark and, and, and breaking a lot of barriers but, and busting outside the envelope and all that good stuff. But with both the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and Watchmen, he took um, established he took- characters, and we'll talk about where their Watchmen characters were supposed to be. Yeah. Um, uh, and then took them to dark places or, or um, extraordinary adventures. But at the same time, you know, in League of War, Extraordinary Gentlemen, they were talking about, yeah, but these guys would be, these, these people would be extraordinarily scarred and messed up. And well, how would that cause them to act, right? That, that's, and, that's partially what I was, I was saying, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're damaged very damaged people, and yet our lives depend on them. And it's it's the kind of damage that you would expect, which I think you were saying, it's the kind of damage you would expect that would happen to people going through this kind of stuff. Right, right. And it's that, that's where the good story well told, I think, comes in, because, you know, it's character, character, character. Right. And um, this, the sad failure of the film version of that is that they didn't pay attention well, yeah, well, there's, there's a couple of things. Alan Moore is, Alan Moore is, is English, uh, and, and so, again, the first, first, you know, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen all takes place in, in England, which is fine. That's not a problem as far as anybody was concerned who read the books. And then when you go to Watchmen, okay, it's a more of an American team, and it's very much like the Justice League, except we're not dealing with... It was going to be... He wanted in the pitch. He wanted to use the Carlton characters that DC had bought, right? And they they saw what he was going to do and said, "Hell no! Uh, do your own versions of these characters," which is why we see the characters that we see, right? 
supposed to go to Rorschach and all that is because he he wasn't uh, granted the use of the licensed characters. Right. But I think not only did it not hurt, it may have enhanced the storytelling because we come at these characters fresh for the first time. Fresh. Yeah. Time. And I agree with you. And again, an extraordinary team, extraordinary circumstances, and not everybody is a good person. Nope. There's a lot of flawed, scarred, messed up people here. And it's also and a lot of baggage done with Mr. Miracle. It's a mm-hmm. similar element of that in there is what happens when you are an individual with extraordinary, almost godlike powers? Mm-hmm. Do you remain Superman and, and ethically grounded, or do you mm-hmm. go elsewhere in your mind, your head, your 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 heart, your spirit? We would add, without but, going into a lot of detail, I would add the boys, Garth Ennis, Ellis is yeah, the boy. Yeah, because yeah. they're like, the premise there is that if you are all this powerful in a world where we live in, a corrupt world, mm-hmm. the heroes would be exceptionally corrupt. Yeah, and, and again, we like to think no, but yeah. Uh, and, and, and that's even, even that underscores Batman's logic in the Justice League. And I'm going to get back to this stuff we're really focused on in a moment. But Batman, at one point in the Justice League storyline that some of you may have read, you know that Batman had devised a way to take, take down the Justice League. If it ever came there, any member of that, he has a way to take them down if they got out of control. And that's very logical because, yeah, if Superman really decided, you know what, it's my world, I'm going to do what I want with it, you better have a way to stop him. So, so again, so the Watchmen a la Alan Moore was very much, here's the league, the Justice League or this other league of superheroes that you're very familiar with. Um, and and I'm going to show you what would happen if I played with him. So he creates his own heroes, a la the publishing house. Goes, no, you can't use ours. Use use your own. And then he paints them as disturbed or messed up folk who happen to also be superheroes. And we see, without going into the storyline, we see them dealing with their own demons, each other, and and at the end of that story arc, which was a 12-issue story arc that's now available in graphic novels if you guys want to go out and buy it, there's an ultimate evil that happens. And I know when they did this story, we, the average comic book reader, were used to our heroes triumphing, triumph, being triumphant over whatever the huge threat was. They always got there in time. They always went. And the twist ending here was messed up. <laughs> you know, I remember... I remember people cheering it, and I remember other people going, no, 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 because it's not right. But it's, this was good story. Typical. You were all that involved in it. Yeah, typical. Typical of the author, though, to say, um, no, it's, you know, comic books wouldn't work in the real world. You know, yeah. the... Um, the hero doesn't save the the town or the or the girl or the guy and ride off into the sunset. That's not what happens. There are bigger powers, and it's it was really a fascinating um, exploration. Mm-hmm. Though the the uber powers grinding against, you know. Yeah. And then HBO. Yeah, and that's and where we're going. Producers of that one season of Watchmen said, you know, 
I think it was David E. Kelly. I, I, yeah. I, I said, I have this idea. Period. Single, singular. I have this idea. And they took that, that, that intellectual property and they turned it into this absolutely stunning and stirring and um, almost um, educational uh, uh, study of racism in America. Um, embarrassing many white people in the country and the world when they watched the first episode and experienced their first exposure to the massacre of, at Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yeah. And they're like, wow, what kind of crazy fiction is that? Wait, it's not? No. It's not? Wait, uh, that happened in my country? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was a lot of wake-up call for a lot of, a lot of pale folk. <laughs> Wait, I never learned that. I went to a good school. You went to a privileged school. I went to a privileged school because they didn't show any of that stuff. Talk about the whitewashing of history. Uh, but, yeah. yeah, by the way, the director, uh, producer rather, was Damon Lindelof. Oh, yes, Lindelof. Excuse me, Damon. L-I-N-D-E-L-O-F. And hell with that David e. Kelly. He didn't do nothing. Lindelof, I think is how Lindelof. it's yeah. And it was his idea, and they wanted him to do a season two. He said, no, that was my idea. To take an idea like that and say, let's really explore it. Let's really put it in this genre, the superhero genre, and have people... Uh, in an entertainment vehicle be introduced to ideas they may have conveniently missed or stepped over or side, you know, put in their back pocket or were not ever taught it and, and, and tell a great tale in that. Mm -hmm. To make Dr. Manhattan the most powerful person in the universe and and put him uh, in the actor and the character expose, uh, express the character the way they did um, forced a lot of fan fanboys and fans to um, rethink why they were upset and that's beautiful yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> they could not have done that they could not have gotten away with those huge Racially educational, racially uh, uncomfortable mega statements if the story wasn't exceptionally well written, exceptionally well acted, directed, and produced. And you know, good story well told. This that is that again, you know, again, we can look at reboots and things like that that have been done and, and that were unsuccessful as well as successful. Like, I tend to think the Star, Star Trek reboot. With, with Chris Pine and them was, to me, because honored the source material, but they also said, we want to be able to do some new things with it, and they did, and I think that was good. Um, just, just to keep within our clock time here, because we have two more to talk about, uh, the next one is your personal favorite, at least I get the feeling it's your personal favorite, not that you dislike anything else, but that you were really moved by, and my son Matthew is particularly 
enamored with it as well. Lovecraft country. Well, yeah. Well, here's here's what happened. You know, I heard it was coming on uh, HBO, and then I heard it was a book. Now, you know, talk about every once in a while I do a thing on YouTube called Late to the Party, and because uh, a lot of times I'm not paying attention to the here's the new hot item. You know, so I had not read the book, so I, I grabbed a copy of it. And uh, H.P. Lovecraft, not my favorite author. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, he kind of, there's a time in your life when you can read it and all those big, over uber-powerful, you know, uh, um, alien mm-hmm. powers that don't, you know, that would look at humanity as insects and that kind of thing and really aren't caring about your welfare. Fascinating and grabs it has hugely in, um, uh, influential. But if you went back, you know, as an older person like I am, um, the style doesn't lend itself to this age. You know, it's revisiting it's that way. Okay, it doesn't. And his personal life, well, it's problematic. Um, and that's a whole different episode. Do you, do you, does one should one negate the other? Is a whole different episode. Right, right. But to take the concept that uh, uh, there are huge, uber-powerful forces that don't necessarily care about you and take it out of, almost like one foot out of the sci-fi fantasy realm and place it into racist America like the book does was a fascinating read. And the author did. I have to go around the corner and get the book. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's right behind this boring wall. Um, but the book is exceptionally well written. The story flies. And then to t- take that forward thinking, fresh take on the Lovecraft trope applied to racism in America and then give it to people who lived it and let them make an excellent show out of it. They took it further than the author did or in different directions than the author did. So then you get, you know, it's like having Thanksgiving dinner and it's fantastic and then having those leftovers the next day and deciding (laughs) to make one of those big, Multi-level sandwiches, and it's a whole different kind of heaven, right? That's what happened with the HBO version is that there's a lot of elements that you'll find in the book, but they weren't doing a um, uh, page-by-page interpretation of it or or a strict interpretation. They were using it as a springboard to, um, to get to the larger issues. And... Stirring, and again, uh, there's going to be part of the population that's made a little uncomfortable by the revelations. Uh, they won't be the African American part of the audience, though, because <laughs> this has well, not been a revelation. This has been life. Let, let me uh, let me just, just pop this one. It's let exciting. me just pop this. You got uh, just to help you. Um, Matt Ruff is the name of the Thank author, you. right? Yes. Sorry, Matt. <laughs> he'll he'll forgive you, but here here's something you might find uh, uh, at least remotely uh, interesting. I 
I had to look his name up. I don't want you to think I'm sitting here. Yeah, I knew it was Matt Ruff. I just wanted oh, to watch. Yeah. Hello, Matt Simmons. I know every name all the time. But one of the things that <laughs> it drops here in, in the article that I pulled up is that he had presented, he had pitched another TV series back in the day uh, as an, an X-Files-styled series set in the 1950s with a black family who ran a travel agency. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this, this, there, there's the right time to, to reboot or revitalize or, you know, approach well, with concepts. And, you know, you know, there he, he, he wasn't accepted. He wasn't given a contract on that series. Right. But he loved the concept. He says, how else can I express this concept? Oh, you know, I'll, I'll write a really fantastic book. <laughs> And God bless them. It's fantastic. And then you get a whole different flavor of fantastic with with the episode. So both are highly recommended. Highly. Right. Okay. So now our last one. Our last one is the Invisible Man. Well, yes. Um, I'd like to widen a little bit the Universal Monsters. Okay. Now, Alex, we have, you and I have a lot in com- common. We are brothers. Uh, and one of the things we have in common is that we love those 4.30 movies, man. Oh, man. Universal yeah. Monster Week, we were Come there, on. baby. Right? We Godzilla got Week, Forest we were Park. there, baby. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, there's 2,001 jokes that people who love these movies can make about the movies. Oh, yeah, sure, um, sure. And, and, but, but we know it all. We know it all. Yeah, we love it all. My personal favorite was always, how does anybody get killed by the mummy unless... He literally, you're, unless you're in the bathroom when he comes, and he's blocking the door. All the guy right. drag a leg. He moves like at a tortoise speed. You could run to Walmart's shop, right? Load your car, and then go get a sandwich before he could catch up with you. But yeah. you know, and but, yet despite but that, for decades, yes, we have loved the Universal monsters. But Universal, uh, for lack of knowing exactly who made this decision. Um, said, okay, we're going to reboot. We're going to you know, everything else is being rebooted. We're going to reboot Universal Monsters. Yes, we're going to do a whole slate of them. Uh, we got Tom Cruise for the first one, The Mummy, and we're all like, but uh, Frazier in uh, the 80s made these great mummy movies. What are you talking about? But no, we're going to reboot that reboot, and it was going to be over the top and all this sort of stuff, and it went way over the top, and people were like. No, I'm gonna eat my popcorn elsewhere. Yeah, which is sad because you know, God bless Tom. You know, he is what he is. For he's always earnest, and he tried with this, but it was um, it was roundly rejected. Well, but God I, bless before, you. Before you you beat that one completely, um, there was another one that got stomped. That was also a, a quote unquote reboot or an attempt to reboot the Universal Monsters, and that was Van Helsing. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, they had Dracula. They had the, uh, Frankenstein. They didn't have the mummy in that one. But right. you know, that was supposed, and Werewolf, that was, that was supposed to be a franchise. It. Yeah. People hated it. Yep. Uh, but then they, they tried again with Tom Cruise. Yep. And God bless them. They, you know, they kind of learned from it. And they just went back. And as I'm, as I understand it, from, and as we said in the pre-show, 
48 degrees of separation because I'm not in, you know. No, none of uh, us are getting phone calls from Universal but, going, you know, you guys you know, are you know, You're the guy. The skinny the now. We need. Let's, <laughs> let's put the standard superstar contract on the desk. Yeah. No, that's not happening. But as I understand it, they, they went to some creators, uh, kind of younger, not necessarily, you He's, know, lifelong Universal fans. Yeah. And they said, All right, these are, you know, classic characters. If you could do anything with them, what would you do? Mm-hmm. And uh, the Invisible Man, which came out, unfortunately, it came out just as COVID was happening. But it seems to have a, had a good life on demand, and now it's on, I forget Netflix or wherever it's available. I forget. You just put Invisible Man, they'll tell you where it is. Right. Um, Not the one with Claude Rain. No, 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 no. This was. Um, a really, I really think it was a great modern horror um, treatise or study on domestic abuse. A great way to use the metaphor of the Invisible Man. Brilliantly executed. Um, and I hear they have a, um, uh, a Wolfman in development, a... Um, They have a couple other uh, big names that are involved in various universal character reboots. Uh, a lot of it's hush-hush. But if if the Invisible Man is the first one out the gate and that's setting the tone, uh, it doesn't have to be a, you know, a connected franchise. Let's, mm-hmm. just, let's just see what we can do with these concepts. I'm in. Well, Well, I've got to say, we we did this with with The Mandalorian as we talked about some of the tropes that came through in the two seasons of The Mandalorian. And I think, you know, I think it's brilliant with the uh, brilliant. I think it's a really great, great approach to take the understanding of the character of the Invisible Man and, you know, the trope that was that character and to bring it into um, a film and a story where it's not just the science fiction of the, the factor, and if you want to say a little bit of the horror of that circumstance, but it's also the horror of reality in terms of domestic abuse is horrible, period. But part of the thing that makes it horrible, aside from the beatings or the, the physical pain or fear and all that, is not being believed, is, yep. is being judged as something wrong with you, the victim, to be bringing this nonsense to us, you know, the general... Again, the phrase invisible, you know, uh, uh, is an apt metaphor, you know? Yeah. An apt, apt metaphor. And I think that helped this be a really powerful movie. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's an H.G. Wells concept, too. I mean, if you go back to the original trope, Mankind, humankind, constantly messes with the sciences and and nature, the natural order of things. And we constantly get our fingers burned. Sometimes we lose a foot. Okay, you know, uh, Oppenheimer saying, oh, my God, what have we done with the nuclear bomb? And the, the pilot of the Enola Gay having the similar reaction, what have I done? What have we done? Right. Yeah, that's blowing off your foot, your kneecap, whatever else you want to get. Because, yeah, you mess with 
nature, you mess with science, you now unleash this thing you can't get back in the box, or if you can, it's going to take decades. And so here is a scientist who, for whatever reason, depending on which storyline you follow, which film or book you jump in on, has to experiment with light, human DNA, uh, the sciences of, of, of the body, all of these things in order to make us better or to make him or something better. And we, there's so much we don't know, and our ego won't let us embrace that completely. So then when we screw up, Okay, sometimes you screw up and you don't tell anybody and things get bad. Mm -hmm. Or you screw up and the effect of your screw up messes with you so much that it's too late. You, wow. keep, you know, yeah, the beast is out of the box and you can't control it. It controls you. Would you, uh, would you be willing to play a game? Of course. Okay, so um, think, I mean, the Creature of the Black Lagoon was recently done. Um, I forget the Latino director who did it, but um, something of water, I forget. So we'll we'll put the, that character to the side. Invisible Man, put this side. But, uh, okay, so Universal comes over, backs up the truck, <laughs> right? Backs up the Brinks truck and says, Alex, um, here's all the money. Uh, we want you to come up with modern retelling or modern usage of any one of these characters. How would you, a la Invisible Man, right? you handle Frankenstein, Dracula, or the Wolfman? What would you do? What tale would you tell? Literally off the top of my head, I don't have it any further developed than that first little bubble of light that just went off. Um, Frankenstein, and it would be an identity crisis. What am I? But we would take it further. We've, we've, we have people who are going, and you mentioned this earlier, the LGBTQ. That's it. We have people who come into this world feeling that they are one thing, but their gender identity says you are something else. Mm -hmm. And so I would explore that through Frankenstein, a, a character, an individual who's created through the eyes and the, and the hands and the skills of outside individuals and then placed into the world to play that part right. or feels that he, she is different, is well, something else, someone else, and try me, to find out what, and then whether or not can it, can he, she, it, they be accepted as such. We have, um, we have the medical uh, technology and know-how to uh, allow people in that situation to find them or to be surgically uh, altered to be their true selves. Mm -hmm. What if we were to take Frankenstein and make it the nightmare scenario of that? What if they were harvesting people, young children, and surgically making them what they wanted to be? What the individual who captures them wants them to be. Yeah. Yeah, you could do that. That would be that would be uh, well, one one is, one is one is a larger conspiracy, and 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 one is to me a more intimate conspiracy. The larger one is also part of the premise of a novel I'm working on called Perfect. There you go. I'll be okay. taking offers okay. from agents and publishers. Hi. There you go. See ya. <laughs> so that but but you see, you know, again, that's that's where where the mind can go when you say what if. Yeah, what if, pal, what if? 
And I love that Universal is doing it. I love that these other companies are doing it, Disney and HBO and all that stuff, and taking material and saying, wow, that was great. What if? And, it, and doing it with more respect and more creativity than earlier versions where they really didn't respect the material. You know, and that's when you get, like, you get the crappy versions of the story or, 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 you know, they couldn't take it seriously. You know, we got uh, some bad Batman movies in the late 80s and early 90s because the actors and producers couldn't sit you. They were still thinking of the old 66 uh, TV show. They weren't. Well, well, either that, either that or they were in a mindset that that superheroes aren't, aren't real stories anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. either way, you're not embracing the creativity so you're missing the opportunity to create. And one of the things that we're seeing here is that for success, one of the things you must adhere to is good story well told. Right. And, uh, and serve, serve the story. Absolutely. But the other thing, too, I, I, and, you know, if you and, and a lot of people do this, and there's nothing wrong with it. A lot of people, you know, you're inspired by stories that you've read, seen or heard and, and you want to write them or you want to tell them and. You don't want to be, quote unquote, ripping them off, but those elements are there. So here's one of the ways of handling it, letting yourself embrace that which inspired you, but then saying, what if, how Mm -hmm. do I shift the lens on this so that I'm telling this story genuinely and it's, it's my version of it or it's my interpretation or I'm taking the seed of this story and I'm, I'm showing a different light, uh, showing it through another light. I think those are the things, you know, because, again, you look at, just as a perfect example, the Invisible Man. He's still invisible. That element is still there. But the material then changes when you put the setting, the, the actual conflict, which is not, right. oh, will this scientist survive and will the police track this, this creature down? No, it's what is this entity doing to another human being and, mm-hmm. and what are the social commentary that's going on there? You get to explore something that H.G. Wells was not thinking of when he came up with this character, but is absolutely organic to good storytelling. And that's how you tell the damn story. And and we just did, and we did it under under you know, an hour and a half. No, <laughs> 58 minutes. We did it 58 minutes. It's all good. So, folks, you had a good hour with us. I hope you enjoyed. I hope you found things useful. Absolutely send in your your, your any corrections. Things that anything we got wrong in terms of a name of a, of a producer, a writer, or whatever. I forgot. I forgot yeah, a lot of things. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I will um, definitely uh, welcome any any uh, thoughts or comments that you want to send in. Any you want to tell us about any of the ideas you might have reinterpreted, you know, and and you're pitching. That's that's great too. I don't mean give it away to us. I just mean you want to say, hey, I happen to have taken a werewolf story and I'm doing some really cool stuff with it. And, you know, I think you're right about, we can reinterpret. That's fine. Don't give us your story. You know, once no. you come in at us later, going, that was my idea. But, you know, please let us know if you're out there, you know, attaching, you know, attacking the world with some new creative thoughts and ideas. That's great. All right, cool. Okay. So Chris, as always, wunderbar, fun, crazy, love your hair. And uh, yeah. <laughs> not much here. <laughs> yeah, but not on the face. And everybody, thank you very much, and uh, see you next time. Chris, Thanks take care. God. Peace, brother. Take care, everybody.